Hey, keep this one off the record, but it's time for another interview on Growing Up Punk. Hey, welcome to 2020, friends. Uh, we're back. Took a little bit of a break for Christmas and the New Year's, that kind of stuff. But uh, before Christmas, Aaron had the chance to sit down with Ryan from Off the Record. You remember them, right? From the early 2000s, Tooth and Nail Skate Punk Band. Before we get into that interview, though, let's get the social media stuff out of the way. Go ahead, follow us on Twitter at Growing Punk Pod. You can also follow us on Instagram at Growing up punk. If you want to follow Aaron, he's on Instagram at Aaron Grew Up Punk. And if you want to follow myself, Instagram and Twitter at David Growing Up. But without wasting any more of your time, we're going to get into the interview. Aaron and Ryan from Off the Record. But first, let's refresh our memories a little bit. Remember when Off the Record? This is good times and Off the Record on Growing Up Punk. And then on the other side of that, it's Aaron and Ryan, and they're, and they're talking. So stick around.
Uh, welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we were just uh, chatting here before uh, before I hit record and and uh, just getting some tidbits about the band, and so I figured uh, we don't, don't, don't want to miss out on miss out on anything. But let's kind of like pull it back a bit to um, just kind of what what got you into music. You know, kind of what age were you? What was going on in your life at that point? You know, was there anything like significant happening either in the music scene or um, just whatever it was that kind of got you into music? Sure. So um, my dad had played guitar. Um, he was a, you know, a, kind of in like the Jesus movement of the seventies, playing in an acoustic type band. And uh, I never really showed much interest in it. Growing up, I saw him have it out, and he'd be playing it and whatnot. But um, in the summer of '92, my good friend Chris, who actually became the bass player of Off the Record. Um, had to spend the summer in uh, San Francisco with his dad. So I was kind of left without my friend. And uh, my dad thought it'd be a good time to teach me how to play guitar, kind of occupy my summertime. So he put an acoustic guitar in my hand and kind of showed me some Beatles songs. And I just, I just ran with it. That was like, you know, enlightenment to me, a a light bulb went on in my head. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. I always love hearing when, you know, when people grew up with music in their home, because for me, it wasn't like that. I was, I mean, my sisters took piano lessons, but other than that, you know, none of my family played any musical instruments. And so, you know, I kind of started drums at 12 and and kind of went from there. But I'm always envious of, of people that grew up like that. You know, their parents were showing them, you know, whether it was you know, stuff like the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or you know, not necessarily music I really know much about, but just to be exposed to something like that. Like I had to find that all on my own. And so it's always yeah, cool just hearing how being exposed to that can kind of lead to lead to other things. So that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure your parents were stoked when you uh, chose drums as your instrument, right? Well, especially when it was like aggressive music that I wanted to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, for sure. That, but yeah, it's it, it's good. Like I've said before, they they had no context of what of what you know underground heavy music or you know anything anything of that. They wouldn't have even known mainstream uh, heavy music or rock music. So so I yeah, so yeah, instead of sure. them being the influence on me, I was the influence on them. So they can say that they heard nice. X first from me. <laughs> That's awesome. Or whatever. But. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, so, basically, after that, you know, um, I kind of I kind of spent that whole summer playing acoustic guitar. A lot of, like, finger-picking stuff. I remember Blackbird by the Beatles was the song. It was, like, the first song my dad taught me. If you're going to play guitar, like, do not learn Blackbird as, like, your first song. You know, it's a, it's a little tech. Yeah. But um, af- after that, uh, when Chris got back, you know, after the summertime... I was like, dude, we're going to play guitars now. And he was like, all right. (laughs) He just kind of went with it. He picked up bass shortly thereafter. And I think uh, pretty much from that point forward, this would have been around like 93. That's just all we did. We got together on the weekends. We'd play music together. Uh, We did a lot of like Smashing Pumpkins stuff. Mm, Cool. Some Nirvana, some some Weezer stuff off the Blue Album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the super easy stuff. But we also... We also kind of started writing little ideas right from the beginning. It wasn't just jamming other people's stuff, you know. I mean, none of it was any good, but we had, 
you know, some, some creative ideas that we would work on. Yeah. So when did like, so you guys were, were jamming and when did, uh, like punk music kind of come into play with that? So that was, uh, you know, 92, 93, we were kind of jamming, you know, playing that kind of stuff. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer, Dookie by Green Day dropped in 94. Mm. And that was the game changer. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools. Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? Yeah, I, I remember, <laughs> you know, when when uh, when we first heard that music and just listened to the energy in it, you know what I mean? And, you know, seeing the, the videos of that guy playing and whatnot, I was like, dude, this this is what I want to do. I want to do mm-hmm. stuff like this, you know, and it, it's super easy too. Yeah, well, you got like yeah. three chord, three chord punk songs, but the amount of energy in it was something that I had never really never really heard before and me and chris bolt just latched onto it we learned how to play every single green day song in their catalog (laughs) we would get together in my garage and uh we would play them and we would sing them too you know we had we take turns singing different parts and whatnot and we almost had like a set list down where we would just get together and like do these little shows for ourselves super fun those good times yeah, with yeah with bands like that, I, I think so many gravitated towards them because, like you said, it, it was easy when you saw them doing it. It was easy to kind of picture yourself doing the same thing, even though they were, you know, huge and on TV. It wasn't something that seemed so out of, you know, out of place that that you wouldn't be able to do it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Was there like what was the music scene like, and well, so what, what was the city that you that you grew up in or that you're from? So we were all from Lakewood, which basically be like Long Beach, California. Yeah. Um, and you know, super, just kind of spoiled with you know all the the music acts that are in this area. Right. You know what I mean? There's so many bands that came out of this area, but you know, as a as a fan, you're you're spoiled with all the bands that are playing. But if you're trying to be in a band, you're kind of on like the losing end though, because the competition is is crazy. There's thousands of bands playing every single night right. in like a 10 mile radius in LA you know what I mean so it can be a little challenging but um, so what we're as far as the that? music scene yeah um, yeah. as far as the music scene I, I mean what we're talking 94 uh, me and Chris were freshmen in high school it was like Green Day Offspring I mean like pop punk was just kind of getting some radio love right yeah yeah for sure and i remember these bands basically uh started doing like the k-rock weenie roast and started playing shows around here and um yeah i can't i can't think of anybody else who else was pop punk at that time i know i'm leaving somebody else out that was like mainstream radio yeah, well, those yeah were definitely the the major ones, kind of until maybe a few years later when you know bands like Newfound Glory and 
um, yellow card. And that might have even been, you know, a number of years after that. But um, yeah, that's like late 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It might have just, yeah, might have mostly just been, you know, Green Day and Offspring. Those are probably the biggest ones there for for a number of years, at least until it kind of picked up and people realized, oh, okay, it's okay to, you know, this kind of music is everywhere now. And, you know, it was just more accessible and gave people that that kind of gateway to to start bands. So that's that's really sweet. Do you recall like yeah. what some of those bands were in that area that were maybe like gaining momentum? Like, is there any cool stories of, of bands from that area that you kind of start or saw, you know, from the beginning and or started seeing as they were just kind of growing their career? Oh man. Yeah. I got some, I got some stories. Um, <clears throat> there's this place in uh, Santa Ana, it's Orange County. It's called Coos Cafe. It's famous. It was a little small house painted like bright colors in the middle of like a downtown area. And the house was empty and they would have bands just play there all the time. You could maybe fit like 30, 40 people in there. Wow. But uh, they had super rad shows in there, man. Hardwood floors, like drums in there. Just, I mean, it was almost overwhelming, but it sounded just <laughs> yeah, killer. I um, but I saw I saw Eve Six play in there oh, before man. they broke. Yeah, I saw them play probably around like 95. And then I think they broke out on K-Rock maybe like a year or two later. You know what I mean? And then they were huge for a short period of time. But um, other than that, I wasn't, you know, like Hermosa Beach is close to me. Pennywise came out of there. Right, yeah. Um, I wasn't much of a Pennywise fan. I oh, really? really? No, I uh, wasn't really my thing. Which is funny when, uh, I'm gonna jump ahead for a second, but yeah. uh, when uh, uh, Tooth and Nail put out the promo uh, flyers for the record that was released, you know how they always did the whole, oh, it sounds like, yeah, yeah. and then they list some secular bands. The first one on there was Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. I and we all, that. we all laughed at it because none of us really listened to Pennywise. Uh, but, were you guys more like you know. towards the strung out kind of end of things, the more kind of metallic sounding? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, but um, yeah. So for other other bands that were kind of coming up around here, you know, Yellow Card was Orange County too, and I don't, I don't think we played with them. I think, I think there was supposed to be like a show before they got big, but I don't think it happened. Um, Thrice was Orange County too. We played with yeah, Thrice yeah. a few times, but that was back when they were like a hardcore band. Right. Yeah, that's so cool. Like that's um, the stuff I love hearing is, you know. Like to you, that was just normal, right? Like for for guys like me from up here, like we didn't we didn't get exposed to those bands until they were already, you know, signed and big and touring. And so it's, I just love hearing, yeah, you know, like from guys from the areas where those bands were coming from, and 
you know, before right. really known. And um, just you know, from being from Southern California, though, where there is a ton of music, a ton of bands and stuff, like I didn't really grasp what you're saying right now until we kind of traveled and went, you know, to like the Midwest, and you know, you have a town that's not surrounded by any other town, small population, you know, yeah. and you play a show and like 20 kids come to it and they're just super stoked because, you know, bands don't really go through that much. Right. You know, but I, yeah, I wasn't really even aware of that until I actually kind of traveled outside my little comfort zone, you know? So yeah, growing up in this area, we were, we were definitely slow in music. Yeah. And you're like, that was just kind of the norm, like in your household for to go to concerts and stuff and your parents were okay with that. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the church and, uh, I want to say in junior high, I got, uh, Metallica's, uh, Injustice for All album. And my dad was not happy with it. He heard me <laughs> listening to it and he... I want to say he took it away from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for for a short period of time, I think um, it was, you know, my parents were trying to gear me to listen towards like Christian music and stuff. But, um, you know, when I started playing guitar, I mean, my dad was all about it, you know? Right. But once I started, you know, playing like, you know, stuff with distortion, a little heavier, I don't think he was, you know, he couldn't relate to it, but right. you know, he was a fan of music. He played in the band himself, so he wasn't going to tell me I couldn't really do it. Yeah. But as far as uh, going to shows and whatnot, um, you know, I, it, stuff was pretty local. A lot of these places were all ages, you know, it's not like they were, uh, you know, there wasn't like drinking and stuff going on. So right. no, my parents were, my parents were really cool about all of it. They were super supportive. Was there any like standout like Christian bands or tours that came through that you gravitated towards, or was it more just wanting to go to shows regardless of that? Um, once I started going to shows, I actually was not into Christian music. I was aware of MXPX and I liked a few songs off of teenage politics, but I wasn't, that wasn't really my thing. Um, I, uh, well, basically in 90, I want to say it was 96, me and Chris went to the Warp Tour, which was either the first or second year. I don't, not remembering the exact history of it, but uh, it was over here in Cal State, Dominguez Hills. And it was back when the Warp Tour only had like two, t- uh, two main stages. They didn't have all the small tents and everything. Right, crazy. And uh, that year we saw, it was no effects, Pennywise, Down by Law, uh, Unwritten Law, Blink-182, face-to-face played, and um, nice. Goldfinger. Goldfinger played. Remember them? Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Love them. So, and then that kind of, like, opened my eyes to this whole, you know, faster-paced, uh, you know, punk rock stuff, more aggression, the stuff that wasn't getting the radio love, you know? Yeah. And we kind of gravitated more towards that because, obviously, if it's faster, it's better, yeah. right? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I can still remember hearing, uh, I've said this before, Slick Shoes' um, Rusty album, like just putting that on and just being fast from start to finish. Like, yeah. I just immediately was like, this is what I've been looking for. I just didn't know how to find it or what it was. Yeah, I, I totally right. agree. And I love that about punk. It's just 
the energy of it when you put it on, you just immediately know. And I still do that even now when I'm checking out a punk band. Like I, I'm fairly maybe. Well, some might say snobby. I just I feel like I know I know what I'm gonna like, but I'm still like, especially with punk, like it's got to catch me right away. And and there's you know if it starts with like a palm mute or you know something that just immediately takes me back to to discovering bands and then I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what was on that warp tour? Was like were those bands? like gaining quite a bit of exposure already like so you said it was the first like the first few years that warp tour started and it was smaller so was it still like fairly i mean small it was it was no it was a big show i mean but you know nothing compared to what the warp tour became years later right. um but i mean you, you had bands like no effects so no effects has always been big you know what i mean yeah i mean that was around um probably uh what was the album that came out after punk and drug like the heavy petting zoo maybe like oh, around that yeah. that era yeah so i mean they no effects always had notoriety they were big and same thing with like face to face you know right. they've always kind of been big especially since they broke out like on the radio right in the, in the beginning right yeah. they had like radio play and then they kind of just never never kept on the radio but so no it was a it was a big show and you know people the energy at that warp tour i'd never really seen people just getting destroyed in a pit like that hmm. <laughs> i remember me and chris looking at it being like dude this is what it's all about right here if you can play music and have people you know just destroy themselves in front of you that's the ticket so did you guys go in or you were you were too scared and backed off nah dude i was like five five until i turned like 19 i was <laughs> so tiny i would have got i would have got wrecked yeah Oh, you could you'd be good at crowd surfing then. Nice and light to throw around. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So when did you connect with uh with the other guys in the band? Like what's kind of the formation story of off the record? Sure. So uh, like I said, I grew up in the church. Um and then uh, you know, I kinda pushed away from it, fell away from it for a little bit. Around like seventeen, eighteen, I wanted to get back into it. Um, I knew one of the guys that went to my church. Um, I didn't know him like we were friends, but I was just aware of him. His name was Keith. And that's, you know, Keith Allen, the singer. Um, so I tried to connect with him when I got back into the church, you know, just for like accountability, you know, someone to kind of hang out with you and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, was into playing guitar. Keith somewhat played guitar. And we were just kind of joking around and start uh, talking about, oh, we should, you know, form a band, you know, and uh, I don't really remember the next couple of steps after, after that, other than us, like having a little band started. I think we threw a few songs together. Um, I brought Chris into it, you know, said, hey, we're going to try and, you know, form this little band. You want to play bass? Obviously, he was, he was into it. Band was called Boy Wonder. Nice. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're impressed. I can tell. Um, <laughs> we, there was a... Dude, the main thing I remember about it is we did a punk cover of Ice Ice Baby of the No Ice. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that didn't take off, you know? <laughs> well, you were, but, you were uh, a few years late on that, but I mean, those um, Pop Goes Punk, like those became huge years later. So maybe you were just, you were so ahead of your time. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it is. But uh, yeah, so we did that. Um, 
we had a, a local friend that we all knew named Kenny who was playing drums and it was me and Keith on guitar, Chris on bass. And I think Keith was already singing. We had a couple songs. Um, we played maybe like two shows and then I got asked to be in another band called all day long who maybe had a, a little bit mo more notoriety, you know, they were playing somewhat bigger shows. Mm. So, uh, I just up and bailed on boy wonder I kind of left them hanging there. Um, they they carried on for a little bit without me. I want to say they were they, they did like some ska stuff too. The music okay. changed. Hmm. Um, I mean that was right in like the the hot era of ska, right? Like yeah. ninety five. Like real big fish was you know big or no? I'm sorry, this would have been like ninety seven ish, but still ska was like the thing. Yeah, I think like voodoo glow skulls were like on fire at that time. Yeah, I played with All Day Long for maybe six months or so. That band kind of dissolved. Uh, just, you know, dudes just kind of grew out of it, I guess. Um, I was still talking to Keith, and they asked me if I wanted to come back in. They had already changed the name to Off the Record. Um, I came back, but the, the main thing that happened during this time is I had picked up uh, Suburban Teenage, wa Teenage Wasteland from Strung Out. Yeah, so good. And that that album just like changed me. Everything I, I thought I knew about guitar kind of kind of changed me a little bit. I love that guitar tone. You yeah. know what I mean? The boosted mids, like around fourteen uh, k, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I came back in. We kind of scrapped all the songs. And then we just started writing all the songs that, um, you know, would would end up being on the, the album eventually. So at this point, were you guys like, were you trying to make this a full time thing, or when did when did it turn from kind of a just for fun or let's play music to we should pursue this and get signed? You know, I don't think I don't think any of us really had anything going on at that time. I think uh, I think Chris was going to college, like City College. But other than that, I mean, we were we were working kind of like 
low key jobs. I don't think there was a lot going on. It wasn't really a decision that was made. Like we sat down and planned it out. Yeah. I think as we started playing, we started playing more and then, you know, people started showing up more and more. We started getting asked to play more shows. I mean, we were obviously just kind of drawn to it, you know, but it wasn't really a, a decision that we made. Like we're going to full on pursue this. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Dogwood actually is from San Diego. Right. Um, you know, which was maybe like an hour and a half South of us. And, you know, they were the biggest thing in the area, you know, slick shoes was probably like an hour to the North and Redlands, Okay. but they didn't play a ton. They didn't play a ton of shows, uh, in like the, the LA area. I mean, because that's, they were out touring maybe like the country. I don't know, but, yeah. um, Dogwood would play a lot in Orange County and in LA County. And we would always, you know, jump on a bill with them, always with them headlining. But I mean, they were good shows, you know, Dogwood would sell out places. Yeah. Hmm. So was that your, were they kind of your connection to, to tooth and nail or did they kind of push you guys to, to pursue things further? No, I mean, we, we played shows with them, but we, we didn't, uh, we weren't like super tight with them. You know what I mean? Cool guys, but we didn't, uh, you know, they were doing their thing. Dogwood was already like established though. You know what I mean? With the, what was the label they were on? Rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Rescue. They, yeah. They had a, their uh, label run before and then they did the independent. And so they were doing their own thing. Um, the tooth and nail thing came about, um, just because, you know, when we were playing more and more shows and whatnot, we were like, well, dude, we want to record. <laughs> we want to have a good album. Yeah. I think it was more about that than like wanting to be signed. We just wanted a good album. So, uh, Keith handled all the business stuff. Keith was really good with, you know, dealing with all that kind of stuff which was nice because no, none of the other dudes in the band wanted to deal with it. So he was, you know, putting out contacts with people, trying to see if anybody was interested. I, I want to say we talked to Epitaph at one point. Hmm. And I think, I think we basically talked to them. I think we sent them a demo or something. Yeah. And, you know, they ended up passing eventually. And then uh, there was a band on BEC, which was like a tooth and nail, um, I don't know, spinoff or whatever. Yeah. Brandon Ebel owned that too, called Flight 180. Yeah. You familiar with them? Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's a dude in that band named Chris, and he worked at Tooth and Nail, and he kind of vouched for us and kind of pushed us, I guess, in front of Brandon and, um, that uh, that's basically how we got on on tooth and nail as uh chris and flight was like our connect he got us in and brandon just liked the demo enough or was there like how did that work back then did, like, did they fly out did they want to see you guys or kind of see if you were wanting to be on the road a, a whole bunch or was it just like yeah we like the demo cool put it out yeah, and see, that's what's weird. I've heard stories of other people getting signed where, like, you know, yeah, they come out, they check them out, they take them out to dinner, they do, like, a full conversation, like, what's your plan, you know? Yeah. Um, for us, we never talked to anybody. Hmm. It was like, oh, uh, you know, Chris from uh, Flight 180, you know, kind of liked it. He's going to vouch for us. I think Keith was friends with him. Um, though Brandon was never involved. I think at that point, he wasn't really involved. They had another dude okay. at Tooth and Nail that was, like, there was another guy there that was kind of running the show in terms of like, you know, being the AR. Is that Bill Powers? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. his name. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, no, nobody ever contacted us. They never came and saw us play. Um, we eventually just got contracts and, you know, being teenage kids, we signed them without even looking at them. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Cause that's such a totally different story than I've heard with pretty much all the other bands. And I wonder if some right? of that is just with, you know, punk being so big then that it was like, yeah, it's, they sound cool and they'll put it out and just kind of see what happens. Right. If it, if it goes well, then great. We'll pursue them more. And if not, then, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's more of what it was because it wasn't like, I mean, we had some history of shows that we had played, you know what I mean? I don't know if they asked other bands that maybe we had played with, right. but, um, it wasn't, you know, they didn't really come and like look into our history or anything. Mm. So I don't, I don't know exactly how that made the decision. I think you're right though, because around that album came out in, uh, remember when came out in 2000 okay. and in that year, in that year, there was like 10, like tooth and nail, uh, like punk albums, right. That just right. got fired out. Yeah. And everybody was being funneled through the blasting room too. I think the tooth and nail had like a, like a, a group deal with the blasting room at the time. So I think you're right though. I think it was just kind of like, well, let's sign these guys. Let's see what happens. Right. So you guys re- remember when it was recorded at the blasting room? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that itself, like that's, that's an amazing experience to, you know, even if like to me, if nothing else even came of it, just to have, you know, that opportunity, which I think is, you know, which I've heard in other bands that signed Tooth and Nail, I don't know whether it's Aaron Sprinkle or, you know, a handful of other guys that bands went to. It's just like just an awesome opportunity to get in with a, a producer that otherwise might have been impossible. Oh, for sure. Um, I remember when when uh, we when we signed the contracts and then we kind of started discussing the next step, like, you know, where do you guys want to record? And I think we, we were living in the, in the realm of reality. We weren't going to ask for like some, you know, super famous dude. Yeah. But, uh, we actually had requested Joey Cape from oh, yeah. Lagwagon yeah, yeah. cause he had done, he did that, uh, Atari's album, that blue skies one, I think. Oh, yeah. he was doing like he was producing stuff at that time and just we wanted to go with him just because it was joey cape yeah. <laughs> whether it was gonna sound good or not it didn't really matter so uh and then they tooth nail was kind of like oh no you're gonna go to the blasting room and uh once we realized that it was ran by you know bill stevenson and uh stefan edgerton we were like dude nice yeah you know uh punk punk legends right yeah so had you guys like toured at all much before this besides kind of locally or what was, what was that all about? 
Before signing and recording the album, there was no like structured like tour with like multiple stops. We had like done like, you know, one shots or we drive out and play somewhere, but it was all pretty local. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's crazy. We had, we hadn't ventured out like across the country or anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something, another thing that I don't know if I've ever really heard about. And not necessarily every band mentions that, but you know, being, you know, when, when we were in that place with face down, like they wanted to like, see like, okay, do you have a track record? Can you make it on the road? Like, cause if you're going to sign with us, we want you to be on the road, you know, eight, 10 months of the year. Can you guys handle it? So it's interesting that a label like tooth and nail that was so prolific, you know, wouldn't have, you know, checked into that or, or cared about that or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really know. They picked up a couple, a couple of other bands at the time too. It was kind of a similar situation. Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember playing, um, jump ahead for a second. Later on, you know, we went on tour with Goaty Hook and, uh, Calibretto 13. You go right, I'll go left. Sometimes we don't agree. Well, that's okay. Cause in the end, we're still brothers, you and me. We'll go to steak and shake sometimes Cause we hang out every night And we do the same old thing Sometimes we fool around too much Cause we are a frisky bunch We get in trouble every day Yeah, and those guys hadn't really done much before they got picked up, um, like out of nowhere too, you know, kind of a totally different uh, sound, but kind of a similar situation to us, you know, yeah. in, our, in our history. Yeah, there was definitely, yeah, there was a band called Shorthanded, another one all wound up, like a few other punk bands that just kind of did the one album and then just kind of fizzled out or... So it must have been just, you know, that was like, hey, punk is big, let's sign 10 bands, if five get big, then then it'll be worth it for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, like what you're saying, if tooth and nail had done, you know, a little more, uh, like legwork and, you know, looked into the bands to see if they were going to, you know, put forth the necessary effort. I don't know that some of these bands would ever put out albums, us yeah. being one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what was so, that like going, going to record with, uh, with Bill and, and Stefan? Was that like uh, a dude, it was reality amazing. check for you guys or? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was amazing honestly like f for me the best experience just out of that whole band was that situation going there and recording with those guys there's some of the most like down-to-earth dudes you'll meet you know super cool if you try and talk about all or the descendants or black flag like they uh bill wouldn't do it you know he would get kind of shy and super humble guy didn't yeah. even didn't even really want to talk about it you know what i mean yeah and uh yeah um, the blasting room at the time, I, I want to say it's like huge now. I think they have like three studios within it. Yeah, it could be. But uh, at the time, it was just the one main, you know, live room, the control room, and they had like a a room in the front where it was basically like a little lounge. And uh, you, the band, well, at least us, anyways, like we slept there. We went up to do five days of recording. We slept in the studio. Um, there was a toilet in there, but there was no shower. If you wanted to take a shower, <laughs> Bill would Bill would take you back to his house, and you got wow. the shower at Bill's house. <laughs> Sweet. 
So you want to talk about a reality check? You know, so everyone's just like bills. instead of recording, you guys are like I just I, I wouldn't mind taking a shower actually. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, actually, the funny thing about that is uh, in that in that little lounge room, there was a, a little TV and a VCR and a ton of like VHS tapes. One of them being Billy Madison, uh, and what was the other one? I think Bloodsport or whatever. But it, essentially, we were sitting there watching these movies, and we could hear the music coming out of the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where that's why all those stupid sound clips ended up on the album. Hey, hey, hey. Who rules? <laughs> Yeah, how I wanted to ask you know about I mean? that because I've had uh, multiple people mention that. Like, what was what was with Billy Madison? And which is funny because when that album came out, I would have had no idea what Billy Madison was. Like, I, you know, was maybe a bit more sheltered than than some kids, and we didn't even have you know a TV until I was probably a teenager later. And so it wasn't oh, really? until like years later. I don't even know when I would have picked up on that 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 was a thing to put movie clips in music. So. Yeah, so that was just like a joke thing. It was like, hey, we should throw some of these in the songs. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard at that time there was a lot of bands that were doing that, putting clips in their albums, like Lagwagon was doing it. Um, uh, I think Strung Out had done it too. And uh, yeah, I think it was more just like we were sitting in that room kind of going crazy, right? We were in a different state. We didn't have a lot of money. It's not like we could go and you know, visit the city, hang out or whatever. We were like confi- confined to this room. And I think we we're just kind of losing our minds. a little bit. So, you know, we'd see something in the movie we were watching and we're like, Oh dude, like that, that has to go on the album. That has to go on there. <laughs> awesome. And like each time we did, each time we did it, right. Like, you know, after we finished a song and we're like, Oh, we want to put this sound clip on here. Like Bill's face, <laughs> less than please. Yeah. I was going to ask you uh, how you felt about that. Especially a Saturday night ride, you know, with the O'Doyle rules thing, yeah, like yeah. covering the intro. You know what I mean? Like he was like, "You sure you guys want to do it?" And we're all laughing. We're like, "Yeah, dude, it's gonna be great." Oh, man, but so yeah, I mean, it was it was all in fun, dude. I mean, we weren't we were never like really serious about anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was all just having fun, you know. Well, um, so. and like looking back on it, like that's what makes that album stand out is something as, as silly as just putting on some quotes, but right. People remember that. And so it's, it almost makes the album more, more memorable because it gives it something else besides the music to kind of, you know, attach it to or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It gives it some character, right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> were they pretty like hard on new bands coming in or were they like fairly graceful and kind of helping you guys since this was like your first major recording project so um they had us like rough demo stuff for the sake of production and to be honest not that many changes were made from the from the stuff that we had going in i think i think mainly maybe with like some vocal stuff but they didn't like restructure songs that much um and then uh dude uh jason livermore yeah. He's the one that engin- engineered it. Super cool guy. Also, um, I think when he started doing vocals, he kind of wanted to like gear Keith to to kind of soften up a little bit. 
and not be as like aggressive, like raspy and whatnot. Yeah. And when it wasn't really working, I think he was just like, well, dude, just do, just do whatever you want, you know? So, I mean, I think, I think they, they tried to shape it like a little bit, you know what I mean? But at the same time, dude, like we were, you know, I was 19 or 20. Like I obviously knew it all. We knew it all. I remember him telling me like, I remember him telling me like, dude, your, your, your tone, your guitar tone, it's like super scoop, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's where it's at. You know what I mean? I want to hear all like low end and fizz coming out of the cabin. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I remember that guitar yeah. tone standing out. Um, just, I don't, I don't know if it's just kind of a heavier metallic sound to it or I don't know. I'm not, uh, I play guitar, but I, I don't really know any technical stuff about it. What, so what drew you to that guitar sound? Oh, uh, I had a, I had a carbon tube head and, uh, like a PD cabinet and the distortion is the Holy grail of, uh, distortion <laughs> pedals, the, the, the boss metal zone. Yeah. Nice. Boss metal zone going straight into a clean channel not even uh, layered on top of a distortion. So yeah. I and I listen to it now and I'm like, dude, what was I thinking? <laughs> you would change that sound, it if you could? Uh, well, I mean, you know, you, your tastes change over right. time. You know what I mean? And like now I'm all about like warm, like Marshall, Marshall tones. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, the, the scoop sound is kind of like something that I want to, I would want to stay away from, but you know, for the time, it worked though, because especially the songs that we were writing, like if you're doing, you know, pinch harmonics every two seconds, yeah. you want, you want them to stand out. And that, that tone really, you know, they, they all stood out all the squeals and stuff that really stood oh, out. Yeah I, in the love mix. That. yeah. I remember like first hearing that and loving it just cause it kind of had that heavier sound to it, you know, it was different than, you know, say like Goaty hook. Um, I mean, they never really had great sounding records to begin with. Um, and I don't really know what the story is with that, but, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I remember loving just, you know, I wouldn't say there's necessarily like shreddy parts, but you know, like the more, the more metal influence. And so what, what were some of those influences on that? Like besides strung out, like you've mentioned, was like bands like Metallica still kind of influencing you and in your playing? No, it was never Metallica. I was never, I was never that big of a Metallica fan. Um, and Dan, the, you know, the other guitar player, um, he, we were both kind of, uh, like lag wagon, uh, like I was saying before, um, suburban teenage wasteland, which yeah. if you listen to that album, you can kind of tell that I was trying to copy tones a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. I, w I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I hit it, but I was going for it. Yeah. Um, and then also another album that you can actually hear, you know, on the remember when album is, um, good riddance. Ballads from the Revolution. Oh, man, that album was incredible. That's uh, just that good, fast, hardcore stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I wanted to kind of combine like some metal aspects, but like with with some of the faster hardcore uh, type chord structures. Which songs like Remember When and uh, Empty Room kind of have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. That that opening track on is that is Remember When the, the opening track on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that song like me and my friends, we would just crank that up so loud. Like we just love that, you know, that minute or minute and a half intro of just those guitar parts <laughs> playing and was was that like a conscious effort yeah. like let's start the record with this kind of No, I got I got a funny story about I got a funny story about that song too. So, um and I when I wrote that song, like the 
the metal intro kind of came about from like live shows. I mean, when we played, um, they're like Chris, the bass player would just go crazy, you know, running around and whatnot. But like, I noticed that people in the crowd would really latch on to these like metal breakdowns, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, uh, that being one of them. So every time we played, we opened with remember when, On the recording, there's like a two-part intro, right? There's the chugs, and then the drums come in for a little bit. And then it breaks, and it goes to like two guitars just palm muting. Oh, man. And then it goes into the song. So when we tracked it, I didn't have the double uh, guitar palm muted part. That's not even, I hadn't even written that, right? Oh, wow. So we tracked, we tracked the intro with like just going right into the song, right? Yeah without that part in there and then we were done with it i was like oh yeah dude i have this idea they were not stoked about that oh, really? like jason dude well because he had just cut tape oh, and like yeah, put that yeah. part in there you know what i mean we had to go back and track it i remember them being like dude how come you didn't say this before and i was like well i didn't really <laughs> i didn't really think about it there was a couple of things that were just like last minute deals you know in the blasting room um the end of cheap thrill too with the acoustic thing yeah and keith yelling at the very end that was like super last minute just kind of like hey what would it you know what would happen if we threw this in here so yeah well that kind of, i mean that's some of the beauty of being in the studio i mean you don't want to have it so uptight that you're just doing exactly you know the parts that you had prepared like sometimes things just kind of come to you because you're creative and you're all you're doing is playing music all day and there's you know different ideas rolling around your head so i'm glad you guys got to got to put those on because those definitely add to to uh the magnitude of the record yeah 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 so you guys you you put out this album and then what kind of happens next you you know you hand the album into tooth and nail do they like roll out like a promo 
kind of thing for you guys or is it just like cool record will be out this day hope you can book some tours um tooth and actually did a decent amount of promotion for the album um i saw some like ads and magazines for it yeah. i mean not like full page ads but i mean we wouldn't weren't worthy of that anyways yeah i mean they, they did offer it into it. they sent out those little postcards with like the album cover on it and uh yeah they, they honestly did more than i expected um but so when the album came out i remember getting we got cds and i think we were told that we needed to like sell a certain amount on our own hmm. like on tour and I, I don't remember what the number was but i remember getting a bunch of them being like right we need to clear these you know within whatever amount of time and uh there was no there was no tour help from tooth and nail at first you know it was kind of just like you do what you got to do um we set some stuff up i think uh the first tour we did was with a band called sick of change man i actually um, I just did an interview with them a few days ago no way who'd you interview uh rich and travis <laughs> yeah that's well, awesome those, man that those, that record dude, those, those guys are so good those guys are super cool. Yeah. Super cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we went on tour with them and like, dude, sick of, sick of change was like doing it pro style already. They like, I think rich actually had bought like a straight, like tour van, like oh, one of the nice ones with the, the captain chairs and the, like, the TV in it and everything. Oh, man. So the first time we, first time we went out, they took out uh, a couple of guys uh, from our band in their, in their bus basically. And, uh, me and Keith were rolling around in his, uh, Toyota Tacoma, you know, to follow up. But, um, it was, it was a good tour. And on that tour, we hit up a uh, cornerstone and played the tooth and nail stage. Mm. This would have been, yeah. What year was that? This would have been, I want to say it was 2000. Mm. Yeah. I was there 2000 or 2000. I was there in 2002 and I didn't, I don't think I saw, I saw you guys there. So must have been no it was definitely yeah it was 2000 or 2001 because it was right after the album came out and oh, the album okay. came out in 2000 I'm, I'm thinking it was 2000 we actually had um uh what's uh man what's what's, what's the guitar player's name from sick of change rich's brother uh andrew yeah yeah, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, yeah andrew played andrew played bass for us at that show oh, wow. at cornerstone because because chris hadn't uh, come out yet they had other stuff going on, so he filled in for us. It was super cool. Oh, that's awesome. So was a show like that, like, were you guys well-known enough at a, at a festival like that where you would have had a, a good turnout? Um, I, there was people that were kind of into it from, you know, what I remember. I actually have a, some pictures from that show, too, that were taken from the stage. And, I mean, I, I don't think the whole crowd was into it. I, I don't know that we had enough notoriety to where people had heard it you know or not yeah um it was a fun show i remember that it was like 115 degrees yeah. uh yeah that was cool though i also remember that um further seems forever played that day oh nice like for the first i think that was like the first time and it had uh the whatever the guy's name is that went on to do dashboard confessional yeah, Chris and i remember being just i remember just being blown away by that band mm. i was like holy crap they are so good live did you guys like stick around for the whole week or you just were there for the day that you played? Um, it was, 
We played that day. I think we were there for maybe the, the following day, but we had a, a tour going. You know, we had other spots to hit. Oh, I, I don't think we stayed for the whole festival. Was that your first time at Cornerstone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a ways from from you, but I know that that was a kind of a gateway for a lot of people once they went there and just saw so many bands playing and wanting to play there and. Well, yeah, what were your thoughts when you got there? I remember just being just so blown away by it. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a trip. Um, we, you know, we never really played like secular festivals, but um, the Cornerstone thing was 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 different. Um, in the merchandise tent, like all the stuff that was being sold, it was like a straight swap meet going on in there. Yeah. It was a little, a little different little different i thought it was cool though where you know you had bands that came from all over and they would drive in and just set up like shop with a generator and like jam you know in certain places i think uh, devil wars prada did that at some point but um no it was cool there was a lot of cool a lot of cool bands that were playing and it was like a cool vibe i don't know me personally like like to camp there i don't know it looked a little rough those people were living hard. Oh, it, it <laughs> did was. You guys, did, you, did you play it or did you, did you like attend the festival? Well, I attended it in 2002. So I just graduated high school and it was like oh, a okay. dream come true, you know, tooth and nail day. And like, it was, it was insane. But yeah. Like a whole week of that, you know, you're tenting in that heat and you know, barely eating. Cause you know, I was spending all my money on merch and uh yeah, yeah yeah it's it's a crazy experience but it was it was insane yeah we actually we got to play it uh two years two years in a row after we got signed so i mean that was another nice. dream come true to you know to get to be there and, and be a part of it and yeah that was i mean by yeah. then like that was yeah like that might have already been when it was starting to kind of die down a bit um right just the headline bands weren't as big as you know previous years and but it was still, I mean, it was still amazing. There was still a ton of people there and, and just cool to kind of be, you know, on the inside, on the inside of it, so to speak. And so, yeah, that was a really, really cool experience. So how much did you yeah. guys, guys tour off of Remember When? Let's see. Did that one tour and then the other tour I was talking about, which Tooth and Nail kind of helped out with. We went out with Goaty Hook and Calibretto 13. And then that was pretty much it for me. Okay. For me and for me and Dan. I mean, I think uh, Keith had gotten married, and we weren't writing a lot of music. You know what I mean? It was just like, well, let's play these shows. Let's play these shows. The shows started getting less and less fun. Hmm. Um, started playing a lot of like local stuff um, that you know. Some some of them are kind of weird, like these church uh, like one day shows that they'd have in a gym and they'd have bands from all over the place come around and play. And, uh, I did, I just wasn't feeling it as much anymore. I guess my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And, uh, the other guys wanted to keep going with it. So, you know, they did, but, um, yeah, not, not a whole lot of touring from me. I want to say it was just those two. I feel like there was some other like, short little runs, but nothing, nothing like major. Yeah. So you just kind of said, "Hey guys, I'm I'm kind of done with this," and just stepped down. Uh, <laughs> no, it was more. You know, they they wanted to move on and get somebody who you know was more more dedicated to it. Right. 
Yeah, and did you feel so, okay about that? Like, you just kind of stopped touring and stopped being the band, even though you had, you know, worked up to to this the point you were at. You know, it was it was it was weird. I guess I mean it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I can see the other side of it, but uh, I didn't. You know, it hadn't been, really been discussed up until that point. Right. Um, I, as far as not playing, you know, in that band anymore, I. I I guess I was okay with. It's kind of weird having, you know, a band which you wrote a lot of the songs for, like, move on and keep playing those songs. That was kind of weird. Yeah. But, uh... Did you keep up with the guys after, or you kind of just let them move on and do their thing? Um, uh, you know, for a while, I didn't really talk to any of them. I mean, me and, me and Dan stayed in touch. I'm still in contact with Dan to this day. Yeah. Super rad guy. Um, Chris, you know, me and him had history before that. And I reconnected with him like a couple years later. I, I've never really fully connected with Keith. I think he lives on the East coast somewhere. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. But you know, I mean, people get older, they have kids, Yeah. you know, things change. Hmm. So did you ever miss, miss the band or being on the road or you'd had enough in those few years? I did not miss being on the road at all. <laughs> that's that's a big part of it too right like it's easy to be excited like okay we're playing locally we're getting more attention we've gotten signed but especially with you guys because you hadn't toured that much like that's right. that's a whole that's a whole other beast you know to to handle right like it's one thing to play locally or to go record and but when you're you know every day in the van different cities set up takedowns sleeping on floors like it very quickly is like, okay, this isn't uh, as glamorous as we maybe thought it was. No, for sure. That's, that's like the one side of it that like a lot of people don't see, you know what I mean? Think about playing in bands. Like it's just all rock star stuff, partying. Right. (laughs) But it's like, man, it's a lot of work, a lot of not showering, not sleeping, you know? Yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And I just, you know, for me, it just, it wasn't, uh, just wasn't my thing. You know, I, mean, I liked playing and I've, you know, played, played in a few bands after that. Um, but, uh, the desire was never there to be like, Oh, I want to go out and tour again. Yeah. Yeah. But at least you did it and you knew, and I mean, you know, at least it's worth giving a shot to say you were, you know, on a tooth and nail band and like, there's lots, I don't know. To, to me, that would, that would be a cool thing. Maybe there's not as many people that care about that, but you know, even still, I mean, the yeah. band, you know, I played and we've been done for 10 years and like, I, I still love talking about it and, you know, miss it. And so, right. It, it's a part of your life, you know, right. You're, you're growing, you're making memories, you're hanging out with your friends and doing stuff you, you know, you never thought maybe you'd get to do. So it's, yeah, definitely a, a cool life experience. Yeah, no, for sure. I have a funny story too about that, uh, that Goaty Hook tour. I mean, we were, you know, we're Southern California kids basically right we're not familiar with like hard winters (laughs) or any winter (laughs) any winter at that right yeah so you know we head out on this tour and we're going across the midwest now i want to say it was like in january oh man nobody thought to pack warm clothes wow we're out there in like shorts and t-shirts and whatnot right and uh i want to say it was north dakota right it's snowing i've never seen it snow that hard it was just snowing like crazy we didn't have chains we were so not prepared for it I remember playing in this like small little basement and it was maybe like eight, eight kids were there. Um, such a rad show though. Cause they were so pumped that we came there to play. Yeah. They were all about it. Yeah. And I'll take that over 
you know, a big festival any day. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I remember pulling my guitar out of my case and my strings were like three steps sharp due to the weather. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to, to remedy that situation. And it was freezing in that room too. I got, I got a gnarly like ear infection from that, from that, uh, you know, the weather that night. Yeah. And wow. it basically for the rest of the tour, I was battling with that. And that same night when we get done with the show, we go out to the van we're loading our stuff up it had been snowing heavily there's glass uh, i'm sorry snow all over the windshield you know again being from southern california we're not familiar with how you you know <laughs> take care of that situation right. you guys got like scrapers for that stuff right oh yeah get the snow off the windshield so we're kind of like trying to get it off uh, chris has this great idea he's like hitting it right oh, no. with his fist and he's like no you just hit it and like the the, the snow will come off I think even somebody said, like, dude, you might break it. He's like, nah, hits it one more time, and it just cracks all the way through oh, the middle. <laughs> so we had to go and get the windshield replaced. And it was just like, man, it was uh, it was rough, dude. I mean, I'm sure you have, like, harder, you know, tour stories. But I just remember, because there was, there was no money, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was never any money in this. Yeah. We lost money, like, every time we went out. We went out. So to have to shell out an extra, you know, whatever it was, a couple hundred bucks for a windshield, it was just a kick in the teeth. Yeah, we had uh, kind of the opposite. We were so for us, it was nice because in uh, in the winter we could go tour the states and get away from the winter. Um, but we did yeah, yeah. one summer our van, like the AC wasn't working and our van was overheating. We're driving in California with the heat crank, so our van doesn't overheat. <laughs> uh, we're all just sitting in our underwear, just sweating. Like crazy, and so I mean, yeah, kind of the opposite—not cold, but just a different <laughs> thing to to have to be accustomed to. So, but those are the memories you remember, right? If if everything had just gone well that night, then you would just forget about it. And, oh yeah, you know, at least absolutely. Say you 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 got you know somewhat up north and experience a different climate and whatever. And so, what are what are your thoughts on on the off the record uh, albums that came out after you were in it? Just being, you know, being one of the the primary writers beforehand. What's that like? Kind of having um, them go on after. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to to critique it. I feel like the second one. I mean, just the 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 quality and the recording is so extreme. You know, and it's the difference in them. Right. So it's kind of hard to to judge it. Um, I I don't know. I haven't really even actually listened to that. I think I maybe heard like one song off of it. Okay. I did listen to, I remember when they recorded that, the last EP that they did, Chris hit me up and was like, Hey, we're going to go record with Ryan green. You know, yeah. and I was like, dude, that's rad. You know what I mean? Cause back, back when I was in it, you know, back when we were younger, that would have been like the ultimate goal oh, yeah. to record with that guy. Right. right. Because he was cranking out all the fat records, uh, bands basically. Right. And when I heard that one, I was like, wow, man, it's a, it's a good, it's a good recording, you know? Um, I, I thought they did good on that one. I thought it was a good, good release, you know, yeah. different, different, different style, yeah. but it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to, to talk with Dan more about that just cause I remember, I mean, well, with the second record, you know, not being on tooth and nail, then kind of having a different sound, you know, I wouldn't have known that, you know, there was different guitar players in the band or, or whatever. And so I just remember being kind of thrown off like, Oh, this, 
this isn't what I expected the next off the record album to sound like. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to kind of hear the story behind that and, and what went into that. So well, actually, uh, Dan Dan left when I left. Oh, okay. Dan didn't continue on with that. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why it would be a you know extreme difference in the guitar playing is because uh, both of the, both of the, the guitar players from Remember When were no longer in it. Oh, okay, sorry, I, I thought uh, Dan continued on with with the band then. No, no, we were both out at the same time. Yeah, wow, that's so that was a big hit for the band then to have to find you know two new guitar players and songwriters and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess there was there was there was a couple different dudes that went went through you know as a guitar player i think they had like three or four different uh people come through and play but uh you know i mean at that time in the you know in this area everybody was in a band and we had played with so many bands that i'm sure it wasn't too hard you know to find somebody yeah yeah cool yeah, well, we're going to uh, to wrap this up here. Um, yeah, man, I, I just I love getting to to hear all these backstories, and you know, I just kind of nerd out over um, yeah, just random information about touring and recording. And do you know uh, by any chance how many albums Remember When sold? I'm always intrigued to kind of to kind of hear that. Heesh. I do not. I do not. I, I, I remember Keith like looking into it for sound scan and I don't, I don't really remember, you know, for as far as, for as far as Tooth and Nail on that album goes, I could tell you what the, the recording I want to say cost like around 16 K okay. somewhere around there. And they gave us a $3,000 signing bonus, which we threw straight into a drum kit, oh, okay. you know, yeah. and while it, while it seems, you know, kind of insignificant like at the time to get anything we were like heck yeah so three grand was you know we thought we made it we were going to quit our jobs over that <laughs> man if only you knew when, when, <laughs> right? when has anybody ever said i got three grand i've made it <laughs> other than like, uh, other than punk band guys <laughs> that's right that's right you know uh, it didn't take much though back then now i remember just just signing to tooth and nail i was like dude this is this is as good as it's going to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause if you're in a punk, if you're in a punk band, like really, what is there to do beyond that? Right. I mean, aside from like commercial fame, which just isn't realistic, but like, I mean, I, obviously like epitaph and, uh, and, uh, fat records would be like above, you know, tooth and nail, but tooth and nail was, was up there. Oh know? yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Cool. So in, uh, in ending, I like to ask, uh, kind of a top, top punk records um so you've mentioned that strung out one and you know good riddance and Lagwagon. do you have uh favorite albums from from those two bands or, or any other bands you'd like to mention uh are we talking from like that era or just like well yeah it could be that era or if you want to do ones from that era and also from now i'm also i'm also intrigued to hear what what, what guys are listening to now as well sure sure so yeah definitely back then it would be strung out suburban teenage wasteland um, I would go with, uh, also good ridden spells from the revolution. Yeah. And I would also say big wig stay asleep. Oh, was yeah. like a huge, huge influence in what we were doing Yeah, from that era. And if you want to jump ahead to now, um, uh, ignite the last album they put out. Man, love that so much. Such a good album. Did you hear that? that uh, they're breaking up. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I saw that. Dude, I'm so bummed about yeah. that. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, the Ignite, um, 
Protest the Hero Volition. Oh, Canadian band. Um, yeah, dude. I mean that that whole like tech stuff. You know, just really, it was my thing. You know, when I heard that kind of stuff, I was like, dude, these guys like took it to like the next level. You know what I mean? Yeah, even fast, like the, fast the, songs and the high vocals. You didn't mind? No, no, I love it. It's got that old like eighties like Iron Maiden feel to yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. We were actually yeah. on the same label as them in Canada. No way. Yeah, we did. We never played with them. We were, I mean, we were pretty drastic differently, but yeah, under it was called Underground. Was Operations. it? Uh, was that for uh, the first album they had? Uh, oh, good question. Um, I don't even really know their discography enough. I just know that they they had an album out on around the same time as as ours came out. Uh, still though, man, that's super cool. And then uh, I guess I'd say my last one would be um, I was never really a big fan of Face to Face. You know what I mean? But that last album that they put out, which they recorded at the Blasting Room, yeah, I think it's self-titled. Uh, protection. Oh, yeah, yeah. Protection. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that album is so good. Yeah. So good. We, we Yeah, we did uh, an episode on them as well. And we were just saying, like, it's crazy. I mean, they ha- they've had lots of really good albums, but I just love when bands that – you know, have been playing for 20 plus years can still put out, you know, one of their best albums or, you know, maybe their best. Um, yeah, I, cause I kind of lost, lost interest in them for a few albums there in the middle, but yeah, that one was amazing. Right? And I got to see them live recently and it was so good. So yeah. Okay. Just the, the, the recording, everything is spot on on that. They did a, like a commentary release of that too. Yeah. It's on Spotify where yeah, the guys are just kind of talking about it. Yeah. And it's just so rad. Yeah. I love that stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this and and just, yeah, getting to talk about music and, and memories. Yeah, so good. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me, man. I, I'm really flattered that you would, you know, want to burn an hour hearing my, my stories, but uh, super cool. Yeah. No, I love it. This is like my, my teenage dream coming true. So it took me about 20 years <laughs> to get here, but making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right on. Right on.